0: What's up, guys? Welcome into this edition of Biz on the Balcony. On today's episode, you'll hear from Jacob Kornhauser calling in from Los Angeles as he talks about his book, The Cup of Coffee Club. This book, obviously, for any sports fans out there, is a fantastic read. It's about a collection of baseball players who played just one major league baseball game in their careers. The Cup of Coffee Club, obviously, the name speaks for itself. Once again, you can always follow us at Balcony Bruce Pod. Give us a call on our voicemail inbox number, 314 877. 8597 you'll really enjoy this conversation with jacob he talks about his new book the future of his writing what he expects for his career and we also discuss you know some things we we pulled a podcast no no we talked about a couple things that are timely now if you're listening in 2020 with the Astros cheating scandal going on, uh, Nolan Arenado or St. Louis Cardinal guys, there's a discussion going on about him possibly being traded to the Cardinals. So yeah, we're not, usually we're good, you know, about not not going with the the present, you know what I mean? Just going with the the stuff that matters and the stuff that's not timely. Um, but however, that's kind of what we did, he's a baseball guy, and we had some baseball questions that uh, that are going on here in 2020. So if you're listening to this past 2020, past 2021, whenever you may be listening to it, if it's... A little bit past due, we apologize, but still a fantastic conversation about his career and about his book. Without further ado, here is Jacob Kornhauser. What's up, guys? Welcome into this edition of the Biz on the Balcony podcast. We are joined today by Nick's friend ah, from the yes. zoo. Jacob Kornhauser the joins us Los Angeles. in What's LA. What's up, buddy? Not too much. How are you guys doing over there in St. Louis? Eh, we're doing all right. We're
1: enjoying it. A little colder weather than we like to do.
2: Yeah, yeah. What's weather like out there in, in LA right now? Like 70 degrees?
1: Uh, let's take a look. My girlfriend said how cold it was when she walked out the door and I bet you it's it, in the sixties. It was yep. it was like sixty five. Get the hell out of here.
2: <laughs> cold in the
1: sixties. I, I think I walked outside
2: today and it was like ten, so Doing doing real solid yeah, here.
0: Yeah, it's bad when thirty two feels like it's summer <laughs> right. over here. Oh
2: yeah, thirty two shorts shorts and t shirt yeah, weather.
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
2: Absolutely.
0: <laughs> it's crazy when that happens. People here like that. would
1: not come out of the house if it were like that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. My aunt came in from Florida and she thought she was in another dimension. Yeah. She just didn't know what to do yep. with herself.
2: That's miserable.
0: We're joined by Jacob Kornhauser, who is the author of the Cup of Coffee Club, a new book coming out on March eleventh is uh, the release date. And Korn, I'll let you kind of talk about what it is, but um, obviously it's an interesting story about uh 10 baseball players is that correct 10 is the right uh, number. 11. 11 11 baseball TJ, players get
1: your facts well, straight i'm dude. sorry Come we do fact check take, before we the show a round number
2: <laughs> a round number
0: 11 players that had one game in the mlb uh they called the cup of coffee club and obviously uh jacob Kornhauser, the author of the novel corn kind of talk about you know your idea of uh what came about and how you decided to go ahead and write this book
1: Right. Well, I'm kind of a baseball nut, uh, as it were, just with history and stuff like that in general. Um, And a few years ago, the idea kind of popped into my head. I didn't really know um, how many players like this there were. I just thought it was an interesting concept, started looking into it. And in kind of the early days of baseball, it wasn't all that uncommon. But as we've kind of uh, progressed, and in the last 50, 60 years or so, it is relatively uncommon, only, you know, a a handful over 100 uh, players like that. So started looking into who some of these players were, what their stories were, and then obviously started reaching out to the players themselves. And I think that's the most uh, interesting thing is getting to talk to the players and they range all the way. The 11 players range from 1958 to 2008 um, in terms of the day that they got in the major league. So it's really kind of an exploration into Not only the journey to get to the major leagues and then, you know, get to play one game, but then the journey of trying to get back and kind of the, you know, the trials that are associated with that. So I think it's kind of a unique look um, in terms of players almost having a uh, fan experience, but um, obviously working their whole careers to get to this, this one moment.
2: Did you see a lot of similarities between some of these guys when you were talking to them in their story, obviously only playing, you know, one day, what were the, what were some similarities and differences between some of these guys?
1: Well, where the differences lied was mostly in kind of the type of story they had in terms of, you know, was this a quote unquote success that they had only one game in the major leagues for a handful of guys. It was a success. It was something that you know, they were mostly a career minor leaguer and then they kind of got this taste of the major leagues for other guys. Um, It wasn't so much a success. They were either a top prospect or, you know, someone who was highly touted was supposed to replace kind of a a Hall of Famer something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then through whatever, you know, series of injuries, managers not liking them, GMs, front office stuff, explanations they never got, um, they only got one game. So it's almost that separator of guys who – may not have ever gotten a chance had it not been for that one time. And then the guys who maybe thought that their career was going to take a more uh, traditional trajectory of what we see uh, in sort of more mainstream players. So that was kind of the separation I saw. Um, But in terms of similarities, I mean, dealing with just having one game in the major leagues, um, a lot of guys really struggled kind of either after they retired or even just after that one game, when it became clear that they weren't going to get back or it seemed clear they weren't going to get back. Um, it was a pretty similar struggle, um, and a lot of the guys dealt with that in different ways, but um, we kind of saw the same sort of thing. It was a, a very, very different rise for all these guys, but then dealing with you know, how you cope with reaching the highest level just for one day um, they all faced a pretty similar struggle in that regard.
0: It's definitely an interesting story for sure. Now, as a baseball guy, you know, there's a lot of stories out there. So what made you, I guess, think of this one and, and want to kind of put it into a story? Was it one of those things that you've been following for a while? Or was it just kind of like one day you're like, man, that could be really interesting to research?
1: Yeah, I think it was a combination um, of a few things. Um, I It was kind of just an epiphany of an idea that, that came to me. I was always kind of bouncing around, you know, ideas of stuff to, to research and really dive into and needed something that really had sort of a hook to it. Um, and this was the first one that popped in my head that when, you know, I really thought about it, I thought it could be a good idea. And like I mentioned at the top, I didn't really know the numbers, you know, how many players were like this, were there any, were there enough to, you know, make it worth worth doing. Um, and then as I dug more into it, I got really, really interested um in kind of seeing the similarities and then hearing their stories come to life and actually talking to them um, about their stories that's what kind of kept me going and then drawing those through lines um through everything i thought the most interesting thing for me kind of as a fan and as like a fan of the history of baseball was just the connection kind of to other areas of life that i think hopefully people will be able to connect to with this because it's a similar story in, you know, whatever your goals are, imagine you get to go to the very, very top of that goal for one day, obviously baseball and the way it's structured and just sports in general, kind of lend themselves more to kind of a dramatic story like this. Um, But I think a lot of people will at least be able to have some empathy and put themselves themselves into the player's shoes and kind of think like how they would react, um, Not only baseball, but in in other areas of life, you know, if they only got one shot at doing the the one thing they dreamt of doing their whole lives, you know, Mm -hmm. would they be appreciative? Would they have regrets? Um, I think it's uh, more of an exploration of that, um, as well as the baseball aspect of it, of course.
2: What was your favorite story to tell not to give too much away from the book itself because you want people right. to go out there and Obviously. purchase it but, yeah. right. but what was <laughs> the, on, what, what was the story did, did did were you drawn to a specific player throughout this process that you you know you really enjoyed hearing about their story
1: uh, there were a couple um, I think probably I guess the most inspirational story uh, is Jeff Bannister who I don't know if some people will remember uh, he was a manager of the Rangers. Um he's currently a candidate um reportedly for the Astros job. So that would be very interesting. Uh he's from Houston, went to high school college there and stuff. Yeah, so that wouldn't be wouldn't be terrible if uh he ends up getting hired by the Astros. Um but he he had several kind of hurdles, so to speak, to overcome um and then kind of worked his way up with the Pirates um to get his one game. And then of course he's kind of been a baseball lifer ever since, uh being A minor league coach and working his way up through that so he's almost done it twice he obviously had more success in terms of years um, managing and coaching and stuff uh, than he did during his playing career but he's kind of been a baseball lifer Um, and then actually at the end of the book there are kind of three older stories of players who uh, are no longer around to really tell their stories. so i talked to some historians people who know their stories a little bit better Um, and piece together some of those stories. So there's actually some older ones um, and there's one from the 1912 Tigers team uh, that is just, it's one of the funniest stories that I've ever heard of. um, And I'm looking forward to people hearing about it. It kind of stemmed from uh, Ty Cobb being suspended indefinitely um, and the team not being too happy about that. And it created a a very strange scenario in which several players um, played their one major league game.
0: Now, whenever this keeps happening, like if guys do continue to add to this, coffee, this cup of coffee club, are you? I know you have the website uh, putting together blogs and everything, right. but is there possibly a second book in the making if there's enough? I mean, I guess that's a lot of years in the making, but how will you do it to kind of update people, I guess?
1: Right. So, yeah, these were the 11 out of maybe, you know, I, I made basically a wish list, so to speak, of 15 to 18 Uh, guys that i wanted to talk to based on uh, all the research that i did and who i thought would kind of have the most compelling story so Mm -hmm. we've obviously got 11 here there's uh, a handful more that we could do so i wouldn't rule out a volume two we'll see kind of where that goes and there are also guys kind of on a backlog to where you know if there's a guy who debuted in 2013 2012 something like that it's almost too recent to really give that player enough time to reflect on it right um So I think that we will um, definitely have, you know, we've been averaging about two to three of these types of players per year for the past, however many decades. Um, So there's definitely enough kind of trickling through to kind of keep this going. Um, And I think we'll see kind of a a fresh approach. And yeah, I think uh, basically the website where there's just little snippets of these stories, um, you might see something in the future where I'm taking kind of a, the best of the best of those stories. Cause we're doing it by date, whether it be birth date uh, during the off season or by debut date during the season. Um, you might see kind of taking a select few of those. And even the guys that aren't around, cause a lot of them are, are much older stories um, doing something with that.
2: Writing a book isn't uh, necessarily an easy thing to do. And I think a lot of people would like to write a book uh, someday, but maybe don't have the, the wherewithal to do it. Talk about the process for you uh, writing this book, obviously you have the idea, but really sitting down and, and right. writing Dick, writing Dick, writing it. <laughs> talk about that. We'll keep cha- that in. <laughs> writing, talk about that challenge and what you faced there.
1: Yeah. I mean, the biggest challenge for me um, was really like, I need to be organized in order to start writing. And then once I do that, like that takes a long time. But then once I do that, it kind of just flows. And then I just have a series of revisions that I'll do. Uh, But the longest and hardest part was just getting in contact with these guys. Uh, I mean, one of the guys uh, works at like a pharmacy in Utah now and trying to find, you know, finding the chain of kind of contacts that led me to that. And then eventually finding him, being able to interview him, you know, seeing if he was interested in doing an interview. Um, Certainly there were several players um, that for one reason or another didn't want to uh, be interviewed for the book. So, It was about narrowing it down to this 11 because I knew I wanted 10 to 12 probably uh, players and then reaching out and, and actually interviewing them. Bannister was the hardest one because I interviewed him while he was uh, an active manager with the Rangers. So uh, that took, you know, eight, nine, 10 months to get a range because we had to wait till the all-star break uh, when he had a few days off off and stuff. Um, So that was great. And he's been uh, great ever since I got put in contact with him. Uh, But just the, Um, I think getting to everyone, getting everyone kind of bought in on, um, the approach that I was taking was the biggest hurdle. And then once I was over that, um, it was kind of like we talked about earlier, connecting these stories in a way that I can have an introductory chapter that totally tells what you're going to read about with Mm -hmm. these players, but gives kind of, you know, why this is so special, why, players who have only played in one game is significant, is unique, because yeah. if you're not bought into that, then, you know, reading the players' stories, it could be cool, but it's kind of all with this lens that this is a really kind of unique group that hasn't been looked at all that much. We've looked at short careers, but I don't know that we've uh, looked at careers that were only one game. And in Major League Baseball, I think that's kind of the way you can romanticize that idea the most, because in other sports there might be some kind of one-game players, but with the call-up process and everything like that with be – Baseball, where you know guys might toil in the minor leagues for another decade trying to get back. um, I think it's the best way to kind of present that sort of idea.
0: I guess take us through the day where you found out you know it was going to get published, and obviously the emotions you had. I mean, again, I think a lot of people too. I'm intrigued as well to know the process of going from you know a first draft to a finished product and then submitting it to publishers, or how do you go about, I guess, getting it published? And uh, talk about your emotions when it was announced that it would be published.
1: Yeah, I had no real idea of how the publishing process worked. And as I moved through it, um, I kind of started looking once it was clear that, you know, this is a project that was going to be able to be completed um, and it was obviously my hope, like as a first time author to just, you know, get anywhere. And I did yeah. my due diligence uh, mm-hmm. on a lot of different places that if I was, you know, honored enough to have a choice, I would be informed about that. But honestly, like I wanted to go wherever was uh, going to give this a chance. Yeah. Uh, And so, yeah, I reached out to a bunch of different uh, agents, publishers. It depends on the book. Sometimes you only have to uh, reach out to publishers um, if it's kind of sellable enough or um, like a broad enough idea that they, you know, an an agent doesn't necessarily have to get involved, um, especially early on. Um, So I did reach out to some agents, some publishers, and I was having better luck kind of just Um, reaching out to publishers um, directly so I was in contact with one uh, uh, acquisitions editor who's kind of the last line of defense for a book for a publishing company so they would be basically reading materials every day kind of looking for the next you know diamond in the rough sort of thing Um, and then as I understand it they would bring it to kind of their owners of the publishing house who make those decisions um, and then they vote on that. Um, but I, I, had reached out to, uh, several different publishers. One, um, in particular was interested. Um, and then unfortunately the gentleman who was reading it, uh, ended up getting laid off. And so wow. I was like back to wow. square one. I was wow. back to square one with everything. Um, cause you know, it's one, of, it, it's almost like uh, a story of some of these players, you know, you, you feel like they're about to get called up or what, what have you. And say a GM gets fired or a manager that, you know, had their back gets fired and then they, you know, it's, it's all thrown into flux. So obviously on a much less dramatic scale, I kind of felt that way. Um, But I stayed in contact um, with the man who was reading it and he actually kind of um, served as a guide for me, gave me, you know, a few different uh, publisher names that uh, he thought would fit the book based on his experience in the industry um, and then eventually that's how I ended up getting um, connected with Roman and Littlefield, which is the uh, publisher for the book now. So it kind of was a long winding road, like a lot of, uh, of, of these players. But yeah, I, when I found that out, I was very nervous because it seemed like he was interested. There was definitely no like commitment yet, but uh, it seemed like we were headed that way. And so, yeah, I was very fortunate to um, eventually find that out. But yeah, I found out in January of last year. So yeah, we're coming up on a, on a year now. Uh, and I was sitting at my desk at work back, uh, when I was in Oregon and I was just like reading the email and there was like a bunch of people in the newsroom and everything, uh, working at a local TV station. And I kind of just had like a smile on my face, but I couldn't like freak out or anything. And I just like told my coworker <laughs> kind of knew about it and we were like kind of going crazy, but in silence. Right. Um, so yeah, it, it was pretty surreal. Uh, being able to to read kind of the you know you got approved we're we're going to uh, send over contract details blah 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 um, and yeah I was just ecstatic because it had always been a dream of mine to do that write a book in general much less a baseball book um, which would kind of be the you know the fusion of uh, writing and baseball two of my biggest passions and so to latch on to an idea that actually, had enough meat on the bone to be able to to do it was really, really rewarding.
0: When you first mentioned that about the guy getting laid off and you doing all this work with him, it reminded me right away of, of Rudy. Whenever yeah. he goes <laughs> and, and the first coach uh, says, yeah, you'll get on the field, we'll dress you one game, and he gets fired and Dan Devine comes in and then it's like, what the hell? You know, he's all pissed off. It's such a good story, right. though, where you have to, you know, that's life, though. I mean, things happen like that, you know. Um, you have to be able to adjust to it. And it sounded like you did, and what's cool about it, is the guy you were going to work with ended up helping you in the end to still get it published. That's really cool.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. He's been great. Um, he's been kind of uh, a confidant in terms of just like guiding me through this process. And of course there's a bunch I don't know about in terms of once it's published. So once we're uh, across that line in March, then uh, I'm sure I'll be able to lean on him uh, even more for that.
2: What's the process like now that you you know the you know the date the book's coming out? Are you doing a lot of media? I mean, I know this is a big time podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and this He's one, on Joe Rogan this, after us, we're this, first. This <laughs> one's gonna sell get get a lot of books sold, but what's that process like? Obviously, you're gonna do some some book promotion. So what are you doing in terms of that? Right.
1: Yeah, so I've got the website, uh, baseballcoffeeclub.com that just has like every Monday, Wednesday, Friday I put out kind of a shorter Um, just research, uh, story, basically not, not like the interviews, uh, that are in the book and way more in depth, um, just kind of shorter digestible stories, um, that people can read. And then it's got details for the book there, um, you know, sending stuff out to different media, um, companies and stuff. Uh, I've got a few podcasts lined up, some baseball newsletters, um, that, uh, have used kind of a, an extended tease, almost one that came out yesterday, the, uh, baseball FYI, uh, newsletter as well um, so yeah I'm looking forward to I'm jumping on with John Boy uh, at some really? point kind of Bring a rising on. star in the uh, Twitter baseball yeah. ranks uh, Good shit, so I'll jump on with him in in the next month or so
2: so speaking of that looking at the uh, you know he's been pretty big more recently and obviously you know uh, uh, he's been big in the past as well what are your what what's your take on the whole Astros saga that's been going oh, yes. on uh, it's
1: so hard to kind of break down everything that's been going on. But in attempting to do that, um, I think that the punishment was not enough because it didn't punish any players. But I will add the caveat that I don't know how you properly assess who was culpable in it, how culpable were they, and we're just assuming the buzzers are nonsense, which I don't know right. that they yeah, are nonsense. No but yeah. Assuming that they are, just what the MLB confirmed happened, I don't know how they would go about suspending players because if it's essentially you know half of their offense, there has to be some some answer to that. But I don't know, as MLB, how you do that. Um, but it did feel like uh, Hinch and Luna were just basically fall guys for yeah. it. Now, obviously, it starts at the top, and they had to have some knowledge of it. Um, but for them to be the only ones to receive punishment was kind of uh, interesting to me. But the biggest takeaway for me, if you guys saw Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman doing yes. kind of media availability yeah. or or, time,
2: their, or lack thereof, right?
1: Yeah, lack thereof. It was especially Bregman. Now yeah. Altuve. Yeah uh was still kind of you know banging the drum of you know we've got chips on our shoulders whatever whatever now I don't know how getting caught cheating and not owning up to it puts a chip on your shoulder but whatever you know whatever they think um but then Bregman was almost like defiant and you'll see you've seen a lot of uh major league pitchers like Chris Archer um a lot of different guys have gone on social media Trevor Bauer and basically all but said you know they're going to be throwing at them this year so I think that's going to be something that's going to be interesting to watch because I really do think teams against the Astros in low leverage situations, you're going to see them get plunked a lot, especially Bregman and and Altuve as they've kind of become the face uh, for this whole thing.
2: Yeah, I think looking at this uh, this scenario, I, I definitely think that's going to ha- happen. It's going to be interesting to, on the MLB to see what they're going to have yeah. to do to kind of find anything
0: else. Well, too. well,
2: and how they're going to manage this whole situation with these guys getting plunked. I mean, are there going to be bench warnings issued right off the start of the game? I mean, you know, that's that's something that I think is going to be interesting. Looking at it as a baseball historian as a whole, comparative to the Pete Rose scandal, the Black Sox scandal, steroid scandal, where do you rank this? scandal with the Astros, with the other major scandals of of Major League Baseball?
1: Uh, Well, like, systematically, I would put it below Black Sox scandal, because that's a team, it's the opposite, you know, it's it's easier to win, but not guaranteed if Mm -hmm. you're cheating to win. But if you're throwing games, obviously, it's a lot easier to lose, um, I would say. And then that also almost, you know, it almost crumbled the kind of foundation of of trust that people had in baseball and it took a while to get that back. Um so I think Black Sox, unless there's just some crazy bombshell out there that we're gonna get um about this or something else, I don't think anything will really ever pass that. Um and then the steroid era I think is probably a tick above this too, just because it's so widespread. Right. Um again, Multiple again players, it's a winning end. Right. And I think we're going to find out that multiple players and different teams were doing what the Astros were doing, too. That seems to be every indication. Um, So we'll see if that happens as well. But it was just so widespread and so swept under the rug by MLB that it was almost like um, it was worse, I think, in general, and then was kind of swept under the rug and and covered up by MLB as well. But I would put it probably ahead of Pete Rose, only because Pete Rose was one team, one guy, kind of, we hope, something isolated. Um, And of course, it has led now to... Um, kind of the most glaring omission from the Hall of Fame that we have outside of maybe Barry Bonds, if if you're someone who does support um, kind of steroid-era guys. Um, so I think I would put it probably above Pete Rose in terms of its importance and its implications for the future and then below those other two.
2: We were talking a little bit about that, about some of the Hall of Fame stuff in the, the ballot coming up here. Obviously, Jeter's getting in, Bonds probably not getting in. In, in in terms of who's on the list this year, I know you had some thoughts about Larry Walker, just probably gonna just miss. What are your thoughts on the uh, the MLB uh, Hall of Fame ballot for twenty twenty?
1: Yeah, Jeter obviously first ballot. You know he's got the most hits in Yankee history, able to be sixth all time uh, in hits. Uh, what is interesting, and he deserves to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, is how much people still there's kind of this lore around his fielding because he had all those, you know, the flashy jump throw. But the thing is he wouldn't have to make that jump throw if his range was better. Right, if right. Andrelton Simmons is playing that, he fields it, throws to first, you know, has a swig of Gatorade by the time that, that Jeter's making that play. Right. Um, I saw somewhere, it's somewhere in the range of like 233 uh, negative defensive runs saved for Jeter in his career. Uh, so he, by all metrics, you know, advanced and otherwise, he was actually a horrendous fielder. He had some very, very memorable plays in the field, uh, but that shouldn't take away from everything else. He was captain clutch, uh, great in the playoffs, and again, sixth uh, all-time So in, in hits. So he's an obvious uh, first ballot candidate. I am kind of interested that Larry Walker has fallen a little bit, and it looks, like you said, like he's going to just barely miss – um, I think the projection right now is like 73%. By yeah, the time right, uh, you're yeah. hearing this, we'll, we'll be able to figure it out um, whether or not he got in. But even when you address the the Colorado factor of it all, and of course he didn't even play his whole career there, but um, that part, and and Todd Helton as well, the, the same, a same sort of case. Um, I think he, for what one reason or another has just kind of been overlooked and, and kind of underrated because of that, despite that. The fact that when you remove for ballpark factor and everything, his numbers still look like a Hall of Famer. And then as far as Clemens and Bonds go, yeah, it looks like they're going to be in like the low 60s, probably. Um, Which, if you want them in, is discouraging because as early ballots were coming out, they were kind of right on that 75 line. Um, So I'm going to be interested to see if they ever get in because I don't know – how many more, you know, new members of the BBWA are going to come in and kind of change people's minds? Because it almost feels like something that has steadily started, people's minds have steadily started changing on it, but I don't know if they're going to change quickly enough for them to get in on this kind of traditional ballot. Last
0: question we got for baseball. We'll move back into the career stuff. But I got to ask you, uh, Nolan Arenado, what year takes? Is he a Cardinal in uh, a couple months or is he uh, staying in Colorado? This is, coming, <sighs>
2: this is coming from a Cubs fan here too. Oh, my God, here H- we H- go. His, yeah, his emails are oh, yeah. H- his his like Cubs like year 104, <laughs> like for 104 years. But now
0: it's interesting because all the stuff coming out about, you know, the GM saying he's not going to be traded, right. Arenado then saying like, Okay, well, maybe, and, and this is a time—not a timely podcast, maybe. So maybe by the time <laughs>
2: yeah. this comes out, it <laughs> so, actually, we'll talk be to done. The Hall of Fame, all these things that have already yeah. happened.
0: But we've already talked about things that are going on now. So I'm just curious your thoughts on the Arenado stuff.
1: Yeah, so I'm not sure. I mean, it seems like the Cardinals, by all accounts, are kind of the front runners. Um, my what I'm most interested in is yesterday, uh, for the first time, Arenado really kind of publicly was basically laying out the case for why he wants to be traded. Um, That was more publicized now. And so I think the Rockies are going to realize they made a mistake by not trying to pull the trigger sooner. Now, obviously, when you've got a guy like Arenado, a a once-in-a-generation talent, uh, both in the field and at the plate, um, you tread lightly. But now I think they've lost – all kinds uh, of leverage that they had in trade possibilities because now teams know that they you know they've got to get rid of them i think fans tend to kind of the public sentiment toward the team isn't as vitriolic if the player clearly is the person driving it and so now they need to get out in front of it and i mean they need to do damage control because i i don't think he's going to be a Rocky on opening day based on kind of what he's said and what it seems like he's pushing for. Um, And any team would be glad to take on his contract because while it's a lot of money and a lot of years, he's still in his prime. And based on the money that other guys are getting hit in the free agent market, uh, it would be a steal. So yeah, definitely the Cardinals are among the front runners and it'll be interesting to see if the Braves or some other team, you know, quote unquote mystery team jumps into the mix too. Right.
2: Yeah, I think it's I think it's interesting that the the main kicker there is the hiccup with the uh the, the opt out clause after two thousand twenty one and what a team is going to give up for Arenado and, and the Cardinals themselves, obviously talking about um, not wanting to take on that that big of a contract. I definitely think he'll be traded by the deadline. If not, I, I think he might be on the roster on opening day just because of what we've seen so far, but no chance he's on that roster after after the trade deadline with, with what, what they've done so far, which is which is kind of interesting. Looking a little bit back more of your career, you interned at ESPN when we were going to Mizzou mm-hmm. and then now working at Fox Sports. Um, You're, you're connected to some of those baseball minds. Tim Kirkchen we had on – our old right. podcast, shouting from the couch. which, yeah, which TJ, right. TJ doesn't. <laughs> I was give, a guest on there too. TJ doesn't give enough credit for. Yeah, we had, we had Tim Kershon <laughs> and TJ Weber. So you know, see those two levels, and then obviously working with Ken Rosenthal at Fox Sports. What have you learned right. from those guys in the business about uh, not only uh, the TV industry but also media business in general, and and more specifically on baseball.
1: Yeah, I think it's just kind of news breaking and building relationships with guys um, that obviously I'm kind of connected secondhand with through some of these guys, um, but they're kind of on the front line, so to speak, um, you know, that have built connections over decades of of doing this. And it really takes that to build up to really get the scoops that they've got where they're uh, getting information and still having to work hard for it. in terms of that. So I think it really is just kind of, you know, making these relationships, uh, like honest relationships within baseball to the point that you're kind of walking that line. You're certainly not friends with a lot of these people, so to speak, but it's that kind of professional friendship um, that, you know, gets you information that you need, but then also, you know, you're not burning any bridges uh, in the meantime.
0: Now, what's your, you know, your end goal? I guess everybody's got a, a thing in mind that they want for their career, you know. And right. you're kind of obviously on this show because you're an entrepreneur, like we are, trying to start your own thing, and obviously successful with your first book. So, I guess Jacob Kornhauser in ten years, you know, what do you want to see? Uh, where do you want to be? And, and I guess what do you, what is your uh, overall view of yourself from other people's, I guess, viewpoints? Want to be overall?
1: Um, As far as writing goes, it is something that um, I view as like a passion and further than a hobby, but not quite necessarily a career. It's something that I always kind of like to have in addition to whatever I'm doing, um, you know, outside of that as far as a career goes. Um, So, yeah, I'm at Fox Sports right now and we'll see kind of where in sports media I end up because I'm still kind of figuring that out. But kind of the producing side of things and, and getting to work with talent, like Nick said. Um, is certainly a big part of that. Um, so I think as far as the writing goes, it's finding kind of stories similar to Cup of Coffee Club. And I've got kind of a project that I've I've finished up here that's kind of more of a single uh, narrative uh, nonfiction piece. So um, we'll see what happens with that. But yeah, I think more than anything, it's just keeping writing as kind of a um, side hustle, so to speak, but really more of like a passion sure. um, and and something that I enjoy doing as kind of a, um almost as a therapy from from other stuff because i do find that um it's not necessarily therapeutic doing the back end part of it but the actual writing aspect of it really really um is rewarding and kind of takes me away to you know a, a different place that that when you kind of get in that headspace it's really nice
0: and it's pretty cool too you know to be able to do something you love and have a chance to make money at it you know what i mean like that is just an extra yeah, bonus i i've kind of me and nick have talked about that a million times you know we started this podcasting network to just as a hobby, as as like, we like hosting. We want to do right. it. We've been in radio before right. and we went for it. And now we, we got some sponsors, you know, still not where we want to be, but we're, we're growing no, well, quickly. Next, you know? we're, I mean, right. we're
2: right there with Joe Rogan, right, right? there yeah. with Joe Rogan. Yeah. Right,
0: <laughs> right, right there at the top. Number two, right behind Rogan. Um, but it's, it's gotta be cool. I mean, just talk about, you know, the feeling that you ever sit back and say, holy shit, like I'm making money doing something that I would call a hobby.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because I all through college and all that, um, you know, I was writing freelance, basically just articles about baseball, Um, and so that was cool in itself of just like getting paid very little to do that. Like I probably would have done it for free, right? Um, And same with the book. When once I finished it, you know, I was um, basically saying, you know, I just want to kind of get this out to people, and you know, if I make money from it, that that's great. Um, And I think that also is another reason why I want to keep it kind of that side hobby passion sort of thing. Cause of course, once it's done, I'm going to do everything I can to sell as many copies as I can and hopefully get as many people as we can to read it. Um, but in the putting it together, I always kind of want it to be making sure that I'm staying true to kind of how I want to tell the story and not necessarily um, going about it from a place of how can I sell as many copies as possible. Um, so I think that's another reason to kind of keep it almost, removed and as kind of a side thing, because it, it is really cool that it's something that, uh, you know, I'm doing almost for myself, um, you know, for fun, for kind of that escape sort of therapeutic mm-hmm. feeling that I, I had mentioned, and then to be able to uh, potentially make some money on top, of it's
2: great. What advice do you give for, you know, either entrepreneurs or someone that maybe wants to write their own book, but is scared to do right. so? Maybe they don't have the right, uh, right path, they can't figure out what it is. What, what's your advice to those types of people?
1: Um, I'll speak kind of to the book aspect of things just because it's more fresh and kind of ongoing um, in terms of what I'm doing. But at least for me what helps is organizing things into small kind of little chunks. I think of it as like, you know when you have to wash the dishes and you know everything's yeah, all, all piled, piled up and stuff. Yeah. When you kind of separate it out and you know spread it out and you know get going on it, it seems a lot less daunting. I think of that for the preparation of writing. Um, something super long term, like a, a, you know, a book length sort of project, um, and breaking it down into different sections. So whether that means breaking down into sections, what you're going to do every day, or what you're going to do every week, or how you're going to kind of keep moving forward. Um, if you're doing nonfiction, and you're interviewing people kind of breaking down the interview schedule, and when you want to have different stuff done by, I think it's just organizing it and getting it all kind of laid out there, because it's a lot less daunting and intimidating when you lay things out that way and you kind of have digestible pieces that once you add them up, then you have kind of this whole huge project that when you look back, you're thinking, you know, how did this all get done? But it's because you had kind of a set plan right. going forward and kind of organizing everything together um, to make sure that, you know, you, you end up reaching that end goal.
0: Now what's your uh, goal for the next book? You mentioned you're writing a nonfiction. Do you want to kind of, right. you know, take the cat out of the bag there or do you want to uh, just kind of <laughs> keep that behind closed doors?
1: Yeah, I'll tell a little bit about it. Um, it's more of a, uh, like I said, a single narrative. So it's less, um, you know, Cup of Coffee Club is an intro chapter, like I mentioned, kind of breaking down um, the idea of it in general. And then 11 individual chapters, basically little mini biographies of these guys. Um, and then a concluding chapter that has some other cool stories that I thought were were too cool not to include in it, even though I couldn't speak to the people directly um, about it. but. I spoke to people around then and who who maybe knew more about it. Um, So this next book is more of kind of one single story and it actually is centered more on college baseball um, and kind of one, one player's journey um, overcoming a ton of obstacles um, in order to uh, live out his dream, play a division one college baseball program. So, uh, I know Nick has somewhat of a review copy, so to speak. I of the, uh,
2: <laughs> I'm one of the original readers. That's right. <laughs> so very good. About it. Yeah. I, cried, it I cried, cried when I read it. it. You
1: teared up, did you?
2: Teared up. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a good book. It's a good, it's a good book. Yeah. So,
1: and I think this one will be more of a challenge because it's definitely more of a niche market in terms yeah. of um, the location that it is centered around and kind of it being college baseball and a story that people don't necessarily know about. They're certainly well-known players and coaches and stuff that are like involved in the story but not directly um so we'll see where it goes with that but i mean it's a story that like we mentioned before i mean if it's um you know it keeps hitting roadblocks or whatever uh with publishers i certainly wouldn't rule out kind of publishing myself seeing uh where we can take it and then um you can always do that and then sell it to a publisher once uh it's clear that it kind of has hit a nerve with enough people because it's so hard for for publishers to tell now and really unless they think it's going to be a home run, they don't, um, home run, don't nice. give it as much ah. of a chance. Yeah. Baseball no guy. pun intended. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, we'll see, but that project I'm very excited for cause I think more, um, more work went into that book in terms of just being so finite on the details of one single story, you know, it's easier kind of in the cup of cup of coffee club to self contain some of these stories and they're a little shorter in themselves than obviously a full a full book about one kind of person one story um so it was rewarding in that way too and and that was where i learned a lot of the organization that i mentioned um was just kind of planning stuff out so that this daunting project uh didn't seem so bad um once you laid it all out there
0: that's Jacob Kornhauser, the author of The Cup of Coffee Club coming out March 11th. You can find it online as well and get more info at baseballcoffeeclub.com. And Korn, I know I already said the website, but do you have uh, social media you might want to plug? Or how can people, I guess, support and hopefully uh, pre-order pre order the book?
1: Yeah, so it's on Amazon. Um, so if you just search Cup of Coffee Club on Amazon, you'll see it right next to some Reese Witherspoon book that <laughs>
2: nice.
1: I think has some similar keywords um, so yeah, if you search cup of coffee club on Amazon, you can find it. Um, and uh, honestly, if you just search the cup of coffee club, Google it, uh, you might be able to find it too, but yeah, Amazon's the easiest way. And then, uh, I'd say Twitter is probably where I do most of my social media stuff. Um, yes. so that'd be at, at corn sports, uh, with a K. Um, yeah. So I, I tweet out updates and all that sort of stuff. Hot takes. Um, about the book. So yeah, hot takes on sports. <laughs> a lot sports. of hot takes. So, uh, yeah, hopefully hopefully uh you guys can follow me there and see March 11th when when the book comes out. You you
0: any Cardinal hater burner accounts out there? I know you're a big Cubs guy. Guaranteed. No, is.
1: I'll throw shade. I'll throw shade at the Cardinals every now and then, but it's not <laughs> it's not uh unprompted. I'll usually just react to stuff Nick says.
2: <laughs> Corn is Corn is the king of passive aggressive tweets <laughs> and tweeting. And we, we always joke with the that he is the dog meme where it, where it's just yeah. or like the little the little kid doing like the just face. That is that's 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 all you need to know about corn sports. Good stuff, Corn. Thank you so
0: much for joining us, man, and good luck. We uh, look forward to reading the book.
1: Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Appreciate it.
0: Thank you guys very much for listening to our fantastic interview with Jacob Kornhauser. Reminder: you can follow us on Twitter. It's at Balcony Bruce Pod. Get involved on the voicemail inbox number 314-877-877. 8597. If you have not already, please subscribe to the podcast. We really appreciate the support. And also make sure if you're listening to this on audio only, we do have a full length video version of all of our Biz on the Balcony uh, clips and interviews. So if you go on YouTube and you search Biz on the Balcony, find all of our full length interviews on video and check them out on YouTube today. Guys, thanks for listening. Appreciate the time. We'll see you next time.